Dirty History is produced by Muckraker Media. So, if you value this show and podcast in general as an educational resource, please consider passing it on to another person. The best way we can spread is by word of mouth. That said, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on whatever platform you get this show on. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get the show, please subscribe and review. The same goes for Muckraker Media. If you like this show, there are others on the network tailored to your interest. Go check them out. MuckrakerMedia.org. M-U-C-K-R-A-K-E-R Media. This simple act, four minutes of your time, will help the show more than any dollar amount could, and it will help you curate a podcast feed you're proud of. So once again, wherever you get Dirty History, please subscribe, like, review, and be sure to check out Muckraker Media. With that, on with the show. So this is episode 50. Strangely enough, I became aware of this while editing the episode. I thought back to the past 49 episodes, give or take a few since some are out of continuity, and I I considered my writing, my positions on things, and whether I have been a simple explorer looking into ideas or someone who speaks with a false air of authority. And that, dear listener, is my greatest fear in doing this show, becoming the very thing I rail against, some phony degenerate telling you what you need to know instead of allowing you the space to consider facts, ideas, and positions in order to make your own judgment about things. And that seems like the best synopsis I could write for this episode. You see, over the past few months, we've explored the concept of open access. We've dissected trends of sensationalism in mass media. We looked at processes behind some of the digital platforms we use every day. And of course, we talked about the role of our political system in all of this. That said, in this episode, I sit down with Jordan Myers, co-founder of Muckraker Media and the host of the podcasts Plato's Cave and That's BS. We discussed a variety of topics, which ultimately questioned the role of podcasts like this one that you're listening to right now and the broader intellectual and educational landscape. This caps off the ongoing series of conversations I've had, and perhaps things have gotten too meta for you, a little too much behind the music remastered, and to those that feel that way, I must say... You watch videos of people on YouTube reacting to f***ing YouTube. I'll be the judge of when we get too meta. But also that this is the last of these types of conversations for a while. And that's not for any particular reason other than this episode feels like a fitting conclusion. I'm confident we've interrogated enough aspects of the medium to constitute some sort of loose intellectual genealogy of educational podcasting in the landscape it finds itself in. I only hope that you find this conversation as rewarding as I have. And for those of you whose 50th episode this is, thank you for being with me for 50 episodes. For those of you who are new, welcome. I hope you enjoy. There's 50 episodes for you to go and listen to. That said, I'm Thomas Thompson, and this is Dirty History. In three, two, one, we're live. Today I'm sitting down with Jordan Myers, co-founder of Muckraker Media and the host of That's BS and Plato's Cave. 
thanks for coming on and uh congrats on breaking 100 episodes for that thank you yeah thank you you feel any different uh yeah it was it was a spiritual awakening for me i'm a totally different person now (laughs) I, was, I, was like producing 100 episodes like ever like a milestone in your head like if I, if I produce 100 i feel like i did something uh i mean yes and no like it's obviously cool to realize that like oh shit you know most i don't know most podcasts probably never get to 100 episodes most people probably fizzle out before then very true um but like i don't know i didn't think to do anything special for it or anything if i ever get to like i don't know some crazy number like a thousand then yeah, yeah. i'll feel like really really accomplished uh-huh. but I, I just I don't know I kind of enjoy doing them in intrinsically for their own you know for their own yeah day, so well I, I thought it was kind of ironic because for your 100th episode which if it's anything it's a testament yep. to hard work was on Bertrand Russell's in praise of idleness which mm. is exactly the opposite of what you're doing was that on purpose well I kind of I kind of interpreted it a very different way um, okay. than you I chose the I chose that uh, topic on purpose yes but so like you know yes obviously the podcast and as you know like muckraker everything we're doing is work in the sense that it takes effort but mm-hmm. it's not work in the sense that you know if if listeners want to um get what I'm referencing here they can listen to that episode but it's not work in the sense that I only do it because it's paid obviously uh, it's not paid and I've I've lost a lot of money on <laughs> <laughs> as you have on on some of these endeavors and for that reason it, I don't really consider it work it falls into what I think Russell talks about as as leisure in the very constructive sense um, like I'm doing these things because they are enjoyable to me and because they mean a lot to me even though I don't get paid they're very effortful yeah so it's you can you consider doing the podcast and everything a leisure activity even though a lot of people would consider it to be work and I think that's where yes. that that's <laughs> definitely something I've noticed do you have the same problem I have like if you're trying to sit down to do something that's fun if you can't reason, if you can't find a reason in how it's like constructive or helping you in any way, you feel guilty for doing it. I definitely do. Um, and I kind of like I, I'm very bad, especially now. This is the thing that I hate about being in quarantine. There are a lot of things I love. But the thing that I hate is I feel very vulnerable to my sort of most basic desires, you know, <laughs> like just to just to waste time to eat junk food, to just you know, for lack of a better word, piss the time away. Yeah. You know, and, and I, it's harder to fight that off for some reason now. I mean, it's it's probably just due to a lack of routine or something. But yeah, I, I think, you know, Russell wants us to have a lot more leisure, but I don't think that that includes wasting time like that. Okay. Yeah, I guess there would be a difference between pissing your time away and, and, and yeah. enjoying your time. Kurt Vonnegut would write about sitting in the back patio with a friend and they're drinking lemonade and he'll turn to that person and say, this is nice. You know, it's 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 him saying that it's important that we notice yeah, when we are doing yeah. something that is enjoyable and we're not wasting our time because we should make an effort for enjoyment to be a part of our life. I only ask you this because I know you and I are always hustling. Yeah. Know, work, <laughs> it's a research, recording, editing, all the behind the scenes work with Muckraker, day-to-day bills, car troubles, who's pissed off, relationships. What yeah. about Russell's praise of idleness spoke to you? Why why did you want to do that essay? What's because I know you're a workaholic. What what about what about that do you find important or worthwhile? That's a good question. I I think I I am sort of a bit of a workaholic, but I try to make the stuff that I'm you know becoming like addicted to very very worthwhile both in the moment 
But I also, I mean, you know, Danny Kahneman has this sense of uh, the remembered self, right? Mm -hmm. And it's sort of what you look back on and retroactively are either happy that you did or unhappy that you did. And if you can kind of get, you know, I, I think a big key to life is getting those two things to line up, the experiencing self and the remembered self. So you can enjoy something while you're doing it, but then also be happy to have done that thing. I think that's really, really where the balance is. And to be honest, I've wasted a lot of time doing things that I both, you know, didn't really enjoy that much in the moment, but then also didn't really think was worthwhile looking back on. So, you know, Russell's, uh, Russell's work, like I, for, for whatever reason, really spoke to me in that sense. Okay. No, I, I, I think that makes sense because I've noticed the things I have enjoyed the most are the things that I end up trying to build up in such a way that I could do it to where I could maybe make a little yeah. hustle on the side or it enriches yeah, me exactly. in some way, then I can, I can make an excuse to do my leisure more often. I mean, mm -hmm. not everyone's leisure is reading literature or reading uh, philosophy texts or researching, but if it is, there's a, there's a market for it if you do it right. And yeah. you can, you can, yeah. you can get it in such a way. Don't, don't, don't mistake me here. I don't think the end result should always be profit by any sure. means, but I, that's I feel nice. Like yeah. It's, it's nice that, holding out hope that I could make money off of doing a podcast definitely plays a role in me continuing to do a podcast, oh, even yeah. though maybe deep, deep down, I know maybe I'll never make money off of it. I'm, I'm going to do it regardless because I enjoy doing it, but mm. the talking it up in your head, the mental, the mental conversation that it's, it's somehow worthwhile. I think, uh, I think that's how I trick myself into doing things I like and saying, Oh, it's yeah. constructive. It, it happens to be all <laughs> the things I like are constructive. So I wonder like, is there a, is there is there this middle ground where I could be doing things that are actually more constructive, but since I don't like them, I consider it to be work. You know, I'm wondering if I'm tricking myself into doing work, yeah. air quotes they can't <laughs> see, because I'm saying this is really productive. But you know, what really is productive about reading a book? I come away and every time I read a book, it's you know some book some books are meant to you know yada yada you just tear through it a little bit. Some books are meant to be chewed and digested. I, I definitely mm. come away from things that I think help my profession. Yeah, but, I mean, how do, how do you, and I, because like, you and I, I think we both feel guilty if we're just sitting away, pissing away our time. How how do yeah. you talk up reading a book isn't pissing away your time? Well, I mean, to be honest, like the thing that really is instructive for me is whether you're doing something as an instrumental goal or as an end in and of itself, right? So if you're doing something, and then when you sort of reflect and ask why you're doing it. If the answer to that is some other thing, you know, this is a step to the other thing, um, which is to say it's instrumental. Mm -hmm. Then, I mean, clearly you just, I think you kind of have to look at what you're actually doing it for. Um, Cause if I read a book and you know, it's, it's for, I'm reading or like a paper and I'm reading it to do a podcast on it. Right. Yeah. What you could say, you could kind of accuse me of being instrumental in that sense, but I mean, to do the podcast is the end in and of itself. And insofar as that's the same as reading the paper, which it, it mm -hmm. kind of is, they're very similar, then, um, you know, I, then I think that that is a, a good use of my time. But if I catch myself doing things that I don't enjoy and they're instrumental to a goal that I don't really care about, well, then that's, I think, where you need, you know, to recognize that that's where you need to change. Um, yeah. Whether that's wasting your time we're honestly also just, I mean, you know, generating a lot of friction in your life over goals that you don't want to pursue anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I, I get it. I, I think, though, 
again, speaking for myself, that I'll typically read about things I have doubt about, you know, like that I want to know more about. Uh, Something that piques my interest. You know, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't read Hegel because it's a fun read. You know, you would, you would read Hegel because there's something important you think that you could learn from reading the text. Although I think you're probably better suited to read someone else reading the text personally (laughs) when it comes, when it comes to Hegel. But anyway, I, I think that thinking in itself is a means to an end, right? I, I don't, I don't read a book because it makes me think. That's not the end goal. Thinking in itself is a means to an end. I read a book, it makes me think about education in a constructive way so I could frame what I do in the classroom to better suit the needs of my students, right? That's why I read a book about education. I read a book about, I read science fiction, some Kurt Vonnegut or something. It's because it makes me think about, you know, this situation that's happening on planet Earth today, you know, stretched out to its extreme. Like, oh, what would that look like if we continue to... The book I'm reading right now is God Bless You, Mrs. R- Mr. Rosewater, which is about his obsession with money and inherited wealth and how wealth compounds over time. And mm. it's funny because then I just watched a documentary today called Capital, which is a, basically like a history of how capital accrues over time. And both were okay. pretty interesting and they complement each other, which is probably why I've been talking about convincing myself that I can make money off a podcast because I've been hearing so much about how important wealth is. When really I think that, you know, I listen to podcasts because they make me think and I like to think about certain things. Mm-hmm. That said, this is good. I like I like uh, <laughs> I like when we do this. I, I, it's nice just sitting to talk. How, however, yeah. I know I know you do this a lot. You have co-hosts. You have guests. Yeah. Has the posterity worn off for you, or do you still enjoy sitting down with people and having the conversations? Uh, I no, I don't think it's worn off at all. Um, I think I, to be honest, I enjoy it more so now. Um, than I did at the beginning because I, you, I mean, I'm sure you were the same way. Like when we were first starting this, I know I always got like, you know, sometimes anxious, sometimes nervous, especially if I had a guest on. But even if I was just talking with co-hosts, um, you know, cause you want to get it right. You want to make sure, and it was a little overproduced, I think, uh, for me in the beginning, not, not in the sense of like, you know, technically adding music and notes and stuff like that, but it was just a little too, um, performance like for mm. me. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I didn't feel like I was acting like it wasn't, you know, it didn't go that far or anything, but there were definitely, it was less the, the Delta between who I was on the podcast and who I was in real life was a little greater, I think than it is now. And, you know, if you can just, for me, at least maybe some people like kind of, you know, the, the red light goes on, you start recording and this persona comes on and you're, yeah. you know, I mean, Hey, if that's what you want to do, then that's, you know, a Dan Carlin's kind of like that a little bit. Yeah. You know, he has his voice. He has his mannerisms. It's definitely well-written. You know, he, he writes yeah. out the script. Yeah. I, I think I've question. had the opposite yeah. problem you had because okay. when I had guests on, I'm like, okay. I want it to feel really conversational and really laid back. I wanted to f- have the vibe of a Joe Rogan kind of deal where it's just feels like you're in the room with people talking. But I realized that, the Joe Rogan thing, they're not in a room of people talking. They're going in. It is an interview. He's just a That's really true. skilled interviewer to where you feel like it's just this conversation it's, between yeah. two people. <laughs> when, because when you try to have a conversation with just two people, it's boring. It really is. I mean, most conversations, just two people talking about random stuff, the weather, hey, how are you doing? Small talk is boring. They want to hear us talk yeah. about the issues. I mean, this conversation is hopefully more entertaining because we have a point. We're trying to reach yeah. some sort of... Well, we haven't got there yet, but I have that in the books, you know. Okay. But, yeah. 
you're trying to get somewhere. I'm I'm trying to get some things out of you. How you feel about pod- podcasts, and that's ultimately where we're going to build up to. I'm curious about your thoughts on the medium itself, but mm-hmm. this is kind of the foreplay. But this is it's going somewhere. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not sure. just a boring conversation. I totally had the opposite problem. I had to learn how to write a script ahead of time because too conversational, too off the cuff. Okay. It's too messy. It's too over. No one likes when someone's just BSing for mm-hmm. 13 minutes and five seconds at the top of the podcast. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, do you find yourself though, like to be honest, I, I, I don't, I don't have conversations that are more than like a couple minutes that aren't about something that could almost be a podcast, right? Like I just, maybe it's kind of because we've been doing this for so long, but I just find it intolerably boring when people are talking about just, you know, very mundane things for more than a couple of minutes at a time. Well, I, I, I agree. And I think that's, I think that was the problem is that you would find yourself kind of stalling for time before Mm. you, because you're trying to figure out your next good point. Cause you don't, it's twofold. Cause (laughs) when you're doing a history or a philosophy podcast, you don't want to sound like an idiot. You know, you, you want to make sure you're correct. You want to make sure you're making a good argument that takes time and thought. So you find yourself, um, umming a lot through it until you get to the next point or making a joke to make up for your own mental deficiencies, which is what (laughs) I did a lot, you know? So then I guess that leads me to it. You said you've been doing it for a long time. I mean, we have, I mean, hundreds of episodes between your two shows, plus the stuff you did before those shows, the street epistemology and all of that. It's it's a long running. What keeps you coming back? What makes you want to get up and keep doing philosophy podcasts? Like, why is that? Why don't you just shit can all your projects one day? Like what makes you keep going? It's a good question. I mean, I did shit can the first project, um, the street epistemology stuff. And that's, and that's because I, I didn't hate doing it, but it wasn't, um, it just, it was kind of, I just wanted to do something and that was the first expression of it, you know, but then when I, I everyone moved, goes through that in the creative field, you know? Yeah. You never get it right the first time. Yeah. Like um, Dali was copying people at the beginning before he becomes a surrealist. I mean, yeah, yeah. it happens. You got to learn how to do it. But to be honest, I mean, it is what we were talking about before. It's the fact that, you know, I, I both enjoy doing them and I find them worthwhile, right? Like I will literally, I mean, you know, people always ask, um, and I just recorded uh, an episode. It might be up by the time this one is. Um, I recorded it last night with uh, this philosopher, Russell Blackford, about the purpose of philosophy and the progress of it. And, you know, a lot of the questions that people ask is what does philosophy actually do for me? What does it do for us as a, as a society and a culture? Because it doesn't make progress in the same way that, you know, biology might or physics might or, you know, medicine might or even something like social psychology or, or cognitive psychology. But, you know, doing a lot of these episodes, I legitimately do find myself, you know, impacted by them for a long time mm-hmm. after we do those. Like, I remember episode 68, I think of that's BS was a discussion about Nietzsche's philosophy. And, and I, like, I promise you, I think about that at least once a week since yeah. then, like the work impacted me so much and it's, it's, it's really actually shaped, you know, how I live. Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that because I'm a huge advocate of, and my listeners have definitely heard this because I'm going on a tangent lately with the kind of guests I've been having on, but a big fan of uh, of critical thinking skills in schools. I think we don't teach them. We we teach them implicitly. They come along for the ride when we do other things, which is to say sure. we don't really get them at all. And it's a shame because when we're missing those skills, then we we lack access to understanding, I mean, simple daily things like the news, you know. We we Yeah. It's one thing to listen to the news and say, you know, I understand what they're telling me. It's another thing to say 
I understand what they're telling me, but why are they telling me this? What's their bias? What's their turn? Where where's their funding? It's the they're really wanting to look into things, and mm-hmm. I, I think that is something that schools definitely need to teach. And I also feel like that's those kind of critical thinking skills are are the basis for doing philosophy effectively. And when I say critical thinking skills, I'm talking you know rhetoric, uh, reasoning, logic. Those are the building blocks of philosophy and analysis, problem solving, evaluation, observation, interpretation, reflection, inference. You you can't do philosophy without mastering those skills, which just amazes me of all of the humanities, of all the fields, of all the content areas to get ignored. The one subject matter that features all of the skills prominently (laughs) that most up and coming professionals need is not taught in schools. So as it's crazy. Yeah. someone who's done 100 plus episodes talking about philosophy, where, where do you start if you were to implement <laughs> a philosophy curriculum in a secondary school? Like, do you, do you do like a Bertrand Russell style history of Western philosophy? Here's your introduction to the ideas. We'll read some texts, break them down. There's your skills. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you start? Where do you think, what do you think is important for someone who knows nothing about philosophy? Where do they start? Well, from someone who knows nothing about education, I'll give you my best guess, but I don't, you know, I don't really have a... a I know about education, you know about philosophy, we'll... We'll figure it out together. bridge the gap. Yeah, Yeah, there we go. Well, to be honest, I mean, I totally agree with everything you said about how critical thinking is the basis of philosophy, but I mean, it's bigger than that, too. It's the basis of just making sense. Like, it's it's at the foundation of literally any... Yeah, discipline you want to go into. I totally agree. I don't. It's not just sure. philosophy, but philo- you know, sure. you know, sure. you know what I'm trying to say there. Sure, you weren't building me up too much there, um, <laughs> but so I would start. You know, if I was king of the education system, I would start teaching critical thinking. You know, I I don't know. Maybe maybe something like second grade is too early. Maybe you want to wait until like fifth or sixth grade. Maybe maybe even seventh or eighth. I I genuinely don't know, but I would start honestly, with just a critical thinking course first, I mean, put the concepts and the valences on it after. Do save philosophy for late high school, you know. But you really went into how big of a problem it is, and I still think you underplayed it because I don't understand how anyone could make any sense of anything without understanding critical thinking. And it's, it's worse than people understand, really, um, because it's not as if you know, these are nice to have things. No, I mean, if you don't actually know the different cognitive biases, the different logical fallacies, you can't recognize them. It's not yeah. something like, it's not something like, you know, well, uh, I, I can I can hit a baseball pretty well, but with the proper kind of, you know, stance, I'd be able to hit it better. It's no, 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 like you're, you're putting a blindfold on and being asked to hit a home run if you don't yeah. understand you know, the, the bases of critical thinking. Like if you, if you don't, just to put it in kind of clear terms for people, if you turn on the news and you hear that, you know, we saw this trend in the data after, you know, this other um, policy implementation, right? Well, if you don't know the fallacy of post hoc ergo propter hoc, and you don't have to know the Latin, you don't have to sound fancy with it. But if you don't know that, correlation does not equal causation basically you can't understand that those two things may not be linked they may be they may be indirectly linked they may be directly linked they may just be corollary to each other right but if you don't 
I contend that if you don't know those concepts, you genuinely cannot understand the reasoning behind it. And I think it's and it's more than just language in that sense. I do take issue with the idea that we would we'd have to wait until second or third grade to start teaching critical thinking. I think critical thinking skills are surprisingly easy to bring fair. into the to bring into the classroom. It, it's I mean, fundamental critical thinking skills include like observation, you know. Okay. Think, no, that's you, fair. You could do the bait. You could do. You might not call it observation to a first grader. It, it's funny because basically everyone I, I would work with in the education field, and anyone I could work with in the educate, all K through twelve educators are likely to say, college professors as well. They prioritize critical thinking skills, right? We mm-hmm. teach our students critical thinking skills. Our school prides ourselves on it. It's funny because most schools will say that, and you'll find that on most schools' websites. But I mean. Three quarters of employers say that graduates they hire lack the critical thinking skills they need. I'm not making that number up. I was listening to um, Jonathan Haber. He's an educational thinker. Okay. He wrote a whole book called Critical Thinking, and uh, he looks okay. at our system and says, "All right, we say we teach critical thinking skills, but when you survey employers, no. they're very dissatisfied." And if you look on like the different ranking websites, like U.S. News and World Report, and things, the top ten skills that employers are working for, uh, looking for. Again, I'm doing those air quotes; no one can see. Critical mm. thinking tops the chart. And the problem I think most people have with critical thinking is that there's not. Give me a definition of critical thinking. <laughs> Shit, that's a see, good question. See, it's it's tough because a lot of people don't. Mm. A lot of people don't have a good definition. There's no. Oh, okay, I'll give you a good an off the cuff one. All right, good. I would say critical thinking is the ability to recognize and understand the connections and logical consistency between ideas. Um, And that's probably a really bad definition. I'm probably forgetting a lot or leaving out a lot. But I mean, it really is. I mean, if you want to make it really casual, it's seeing if stuff actually holds water, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. seeing it's seeing if, you know, different statements or different arguments are both valid and sound, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, we'll, we'll stick with that. As well, I might come off more as like a John Dewey type on this one. I, I think simply that critical thinking is just thinking in a structured way, right? It's building upon the processes that are already there and paying attention to the fact that the processes are there and understanding what those underlying, where those underlying hunches that you might have in the pit of your stomach are pointing you. Because critical thinking skills, they build upon principles like logic and rhetoric, communication skills, metacognition. That's an important yeah. one. Understanding why and how you think. And I, I think those those different fields or different areas branch off of our natural curiosity or whatnot. But it's definitely something that you have to train. You can't. It's not just there. You know, you don't just wake up one day and you have all the. You can reason. You can understand. You can dis, you can discern bias and yeah. explain connections through time. It's very tough. And I think the way to overcome that is um, that I think critical thinking skills need to be taught explicitly. We need to explicitly say, yeah. when we're doing this, this is what you call analysis, or this is called this is interpretate. What do these things mean? Put a phrase to the what action and you know formalize it. Let students know that what they're doing in their heads is a thing. You know that other people <laughs> recognize as 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 a um, as an action, and yeah. they need to give ample opportunity to practice it. You need to. St- you need distinct, deliberate practice of the skills. You need to, if it's document analysis, you need to analyze some documents. You can't just say, this is how you do it, and never come back to it. I guess the reason I'm, I'm harping on critical thinking skills is because lately I've been doing a lot of historiography and uh, commentary on the field's current state of affairs and stuff like that. And it, le- it led me 
to questioning then how we teach it, which is something that's always fascinated me. But the ultimate question I've come to then, talking about education, talking about history and history education, and, and talking about different mediums to allow the um, the fields to live on. You know, I've talked a lot about open access when it comes mm-hmm. to like historical documents and open source open access when it comes to learning and education. But so where do you find podcasts fitting into the into the education or even more broadly intellectual ecosystem? Because I can't help my debate. I can't help but debate myself about it. I'll, I'll go back <laughs> and say I'm like I'm producing something worthwhile that people will be able to access for free of charge for centuries, right? As long as the technology relatively, as long yeah. as we have, there's no EMPs that go off or something, right? <laughs> sure. And, um, and then I go back, or is it just like a fad that will become obsolete and people will lose access to it? And it's, it doesn't have a staying power, you know? So I, I guess I'm just wondering where podcasts fit long-term in the intellectual educational trends. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I probably don't think that they're a fad. I, I do think they're probably here to stay. I mean, that's yeah. not to say anything specific about, you know, any individual podcast because some, like I try to make mine very evergreen. I know, I know you do the same thing, but if you yeah, like well, a very, some will age badly, you know, sure. Of course. I mean, uh, yeah, all of them, you know, in some way, shape or form will age. But as far as like in the, f- I, I don't think to be honest that I see, and I mean, I'm open to persuasion on this, but I don't really see them as part of the formal education system in the sense that I think the beauty of them is their supplementary nature. Um, and to be honest, I, you know, I, a lot of people have uh, different opinions given, you know, the, the state of affairs with quarantine and everything, but it's made me realize actually how much I value in person and kinetic education as opposed mm-hmm. to remote and removed. And I think it's for that reason why I honestly don't, I don't see podcasts as supplementing formal education in that sense. Um, sorry, replacing. I replacing, do see them yeah, supplementing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, no, and I, I totally yeah. can get behind the idea that they are they are supplementary. But yeah. w- what worries me then is that, okay, so right now they currently serve as the supplement. You go to school however many hours. You go home, you listen to a podcast, you learn something new, but it's not your main source of education. What worries me is now in this increasingly digital education system we're in, if teachers overworked, underpaid with class sizes that are enormous, and how am I going to control a Zoom call with 36 kids, yada, 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 you know, this, the yeah. same old concerns, but now on a different platform. I'm, I'm worried that the, the assignments might increasingly be, go listen to this podcast, that's pretty good, get some notes on it, or go listen, or read, they, they might go read the audio book, I mean, read the book first, or listen to the audio book, yeah. or... But increasingly, I could see podcasts popping up. I mean, again, that podcast I was listening to with the uh, critical thinking theorist um, Haber, he was talking about how he discovered the podcast he was guesting on by doing um, enrolling on online courses. He did a big study where he enrolled on like a ton of courses, right? And um, to the point where he was trying to get a BA, I believe, in philosophy only from online classes. He wanted to see if that was possible, if you could take the course load and it still be of the same quality of a of an in-person you know of an in-person school but he did online courses exclusively okay. it was part of his study he measured he wanted to see the quality of the classes what was his conclusion and, there what did he um think? i didn't get to the part where we got to his conclusions yet okay <laughs> <laughs> no he was uh he he was he was generally talking about though how um 
how he found a podcast, right? They were they were yeah, saying, sure, sure. go listen to this podcast on Heidegger, listen to Philosophize This, listen to Partially Examined Life, right? So he was, mm. unfortunately, he didn't name drop that BS. I was really hoping he would have, you know, Dang. but it's a shame. But that's the that 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 seems to be the, that was that was a point he was making that increasingly there were a lot of teachers who were like just assigning podcasts, and while he was like. In the way that he was speaking of it, it was very positive. I found your guys' podcast from it. It was really cool. I'm worried that you put more teachers online, some of who might not be very qualified to teach online, say, how am I going to cover my ass? I don't have a lecture recorded. I don't know how to record a lecture. I don't have a microphone, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Go listen to this podcast. They covered it perfectly. Does that, does that worry you or is that optimistic? Because that means more podcast listeners for the field, right? Sure. Well, yeah, if you ask me in the metric sense, then yeah, I like that. Um, but I mean, so here's the thing. I, because like when I was taking philosophy classes as an undergrad, I did actually sometimes, although not often, use podcasts as part of my research. Mm -hmm. um, like I remember I used many, many podcasts actually when I was uh, researching for my sort of like undergraduate thesis paper, yeah. right? Um, but but I gotta say, I, again, I really valued them as supplementary. I, I think the paper, you know, was better because of them. I think my understanding of the topic was better because yeah. of them. But I don't think that they can really serve to replace, re, you know, reading primary sources and reading secondary sources, honestly, mm -hmm. because, you know, you can't. I just don't think they're amenable to, you know, like citation and to. I guess they would be just as easily quoted, but. I, I think there's something about listening can be a bit too passive. And I mean that in a good yeah. way and a bad way. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a it's an it's an amazing way to fill the sort of interstitial moments where you couldn't read. Right now, I totally agree. But does your does your position change if the show, say, provides transcripts of the episode with footnotes and citations? Does, does that change your opinion then of it being an academic resource? Well, don't get me wrong. I think it is an academic research. Yeah. Even do you think, do you think that, it's yeah. a? Do you think it's a more, I guess, mainstream something that you could use more directly? Because I, I, I know that schools definitely have not accepted it as a source on a paper. I mean, I would sure. never dream of doing that. Oh no! no. Yeah. If you're a listener and you're like, hmm, maybe I might cite that episode. Don't do it. It's, it's yeah. a bad idea. It's weird. Yeah. But <laughs> it, you know, maybe uh, you missed your lecture on uh, Marcus Aurelius that day. Yeah. So I just throw on some philosophize this and say I'm square or Oh, he's great. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's he's great for it. Um like what's missing? Why can't it make that jump? Because you know, what's a what's a podcast but like a lecture, you know? Yeah, but it's different. I I do I genuinely think it's different in the sense of that I think the, I agree, but I'm curious to hear why. Sure. So the thing that I think really increased my knowledge of philosophy more so than anything else was a the there was something very focusing about being in a classroom. I don't know if that's a personal quirk of mine. Um, I'm sure some people share it, but the actual going to a room where you learn about something directly, I, I found really valuable. But second, um, and this is probably more central to philosophy than to other things, but the immediate like access to questions right you can raise your hand you know wait i thought that conflicts with something he said earlier in the paper can you explain the difference or you know how does he uh square this you know to to a rebuttal posed by this other person right so 
it's 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 that real time interaction that kinetic learning like i said mm-hmm. that you know maybe i'm talking about weird quirks of my own personality no no, no. i love that you said else. that i totally yeah. agree with you because what gives education value education isn't valuable and when i say education i mean like the education system because i have different definitions for learning and education that i have to contend with but yeah. when you're talking about the education system it is it's crucial that the learning come from not just your person professor teacher whoever talking to you telling you what you need to learn it comes from that contact that interaction the the collaboration communication because that's where you get those valuable critical thinking skills communication skills social emotional intelligence you you can't build that as well yeah. if you're not in person because i'm very curious to see 20 30 years from now the research that shows you know the way that we deal with social interactions compared to our previous generations, you know, yeah. that in-person social interaction. I don't want to make any claims on it because it's going to be such a complex problem. Or not, it's oh, not necessarily yeah. a problem, but such a complex idea to discuss that I will know I will not be able to articulate it well. Yeah. But I, I can say that I do see it in the classroom. I think our reliance on technology for communication is def- definitely hampering our in-person communication skills, especially oh, when it comes oh, yeah. to, I see it a lot in students in spelling, yeah. a lot of textual, you know, abbreviations to the <laughs> U. Like, I'm, dude, I'm so bad at spelling now. So when you hear professors yeah. say, like, Y-O-U is you, not you, and you're like, what, who the hell does that? And I'm like, yeah. now I'm on the other side of that and as a yeah. teacher, and I realize it happens a lot, and it definitely needs to be stated, which surprised oh, me, yeah. but at the same time, it shouldn't, you know, because it, it makes it makes sense. But maybe that's why I love podcasting so much because it yeah. it uses a new technology, right? Mm-hmm. When I say new, relatively new, it, u- it uses the internet to transmit, you know, oh, yeah. audio, which is essentially radio, but there's no boundaries. But that's why I love podcasting because it, it, I think it retains the initial spirit of just talking conversations, right? Yeah, so this is yeah, what we're doing right now. You know, I'm, I'm having I'm having a drink, we're having a conversation. It's it's just two friends hanging out. Yeah. Granted, I mean, we, we read a couple books, so we, we talk about them because we're interested, not because we think we have any authority right now, but because we just sure. think they're fun. And sure. that, I think there's something pure about that, that it's, it's hard yeah. to it's hard to get in, say, like, some of these apps I've been seeing, where it's like 10-minute episodes, and it's like, who wants to watch some of those? Like, Instagram yeah. TV, it'll cut you. Does Instagram cut TV cut you off in like 15 minutes? Or I thought that was a great... That's a great addition to Instagram because you've been so used to minute, two minute videos. Mm. It, I think it's the long form, and I know I'm not alone on this. Every podcaster will be like, sure. "Oh, I love that we could do long form," but I, yeah. I think that's <laughs> that, that's crucial. There should be no cutoff, you know. Mm-hmm. But oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if we had to like bring this in in 45 minutes, we had to wrap it up. You know what I mean? It'd be just like it would put like a weird valence on the whole conversation. Yeah. You know, it doesn't feel authentic. It feels like, I'm, no, no, it's it feels weird. like a Katie Kirk and I'm rushing you through the questions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really in the spirit of like gonzo journalists, which I really love, you know, like the Hunter S Thompson's, the Anthony Bourdain types who are all about that sense experience being in the place at the time and having it affecting you. Right. And I think that's what podcasting is. I can't, podcast without me being there of course right i i am a character in the podcast because i'm talking to you you know i'm not i didn't write the podcast i'm not hands off mm-hmm. we are you and i are both characters in whatever story we tell on our podcast because we are the ones telling the story and i think that's uh that's crucial about it this is personality because it is us yeah. we don't have producers we don't have corporate overlords we don't answer to vice media we don't answer to th <laughs> tlc or whatever 
yeah. we don't have anyone, you know, flashing the green light that we need to wrap it up. And that's, that's, that's a relief. And I think that makes it honest. Yeah. And to be honest, I mean, that's what I, I really like. I don't know about you, but if I look at the podcasts that I listen to almost every episode of, none of them are solo uh, podcasts. They're uh, all... Okay, so maybe you're different. I've listened to all... you know, like Dan Carlin. Okay. Oh, you know what? No, you're right. I've listened to every Philosophize this. Too. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. You're, you're right. You're right. You. you did. I was wrong. I was wrong I, about... I think, you make, I think you make a point. Yeah. It's where I wanted you to go, ultimately, because I want to ask you this okay. question. Okay. Podcasts, they don't have time constraints, right? Yeah. We've been talking how they're supplementary. They're really good at supplementary content. Are they good at replacing content? I argue not at all because there's this key idea in education that the teacher should transmit concepts, ideas, and skills to students, not indoctrinate them. And I think there's a thin but fine line between podcasts doing that, transmitting concepts, ideas, skills, or just entertaining you, and there are the podcasts that masquerade around saying they're doing that, but really they're leaning more towards that indoctrination side of the spectrum. And I don't mean this in any kind of conspiratorial sense, you know, like they're doing it behind your back or whatever. I chose my words very carefully on that. I think it's as simple as someone telling you a side of an argument is correct without really even informing you that there's an argument to begin with or a counter argument. Yeah. You know, the, the Prager U types that it, yes, these are the facts, <laughs> but really you're really, you know, taking the facts and you're, you're, you're tilting them a bit. And it's not this grand conspiracy. I'm just wondering, how do you reconcile with that? And to follow up on that, what would, what do you do to prevent that's BS or Plato's cave from descending into those kind of echo chambers? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to be honest, like, the, you know, to answer the first part of your question, the, that, that's the thing that honestly made me fall in love with philosophy as a discipline is, you know, back me as an undergrad, uh, we'll be talking to, you know, maybe in office hours or something, a professor that has spent decades upon decades learning about one specific area of philosophy, and they are an expert in that. But never, I, I mean, I swear to God, never once was I told that something, I just had to agree with it. Like literally never once. And that's an incredible thing, uh, you know, to be, to be able to participate in with someone who knows so much. And that's, I mean, I actually talked with uh, Russell Blackford uh, about this last night. That's really the difference in my mind between a true philosophical conversation and what we see today, like you said, with the Prager U, or I, I would float as an example, um, someone like Jordan Peterson, uh, who they talk about philosophical concepts, but it's clear that they haven't read all that they would really need mm -hmm. to in order to, to be considered, you know, really, really well re researched and read on that topic. And I'm really happy you said that because it's a concern I've been having a lot lately that anybody can listen to a podcast, right? Yeah. And I mean, theoretically, anyone can go to a university library and sit down and start looking at the books as well. But more often than not, it's easier to sit down, pull up a podcast than it is to go to the library, check out a no book, talk to a librarian, yeah. right? No one does that anymore. And it's easier to hit play on a podcast than it is to go find an audio book, download the audio book, because then you got to pay for it. You got to get credits or whatever, right? It's getting, there's the barrier to listening to a podcast is having internet access and a pair of headphones if you're polite, right? Sure. That's, that's the only, that's, that's it, yeah. the only things you need. Yeah. That poses a major problem because let's say I'm a high school graduate, right? 
I'm yeah. decently smart, wasn't the top of my class, and I really want to listen to things that are going to open up my mind. I want to expand myself, broaden my horizons. I want to maybe start learning about philosophy because my school didn't touch on it, and it sounds interesting because they mentioned Socrates and Plato. So where do I turn? I look up philosophy on my uh, podcast player, and what are the first things that come up? Philosophize this, which I think is a great resource. That's amazing. Stephen West is an amazing teacher. But then second up, you're going to have things like, you know— the Jordan Peterson, the Jordan Peterson, like Shapiro, the Rubin yeah. report and Ben Shapiro, and I'm just, yeah. I'm confused on how because it's it's so clearly that it's not yeah academic or intellectual material. I guess it's intellectual, but it has a bias. I think it's tip- tiptoeing that indoctrination, transmitting <laughs> ideas kind of line. Yeah. What 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 can be done to prevent just someone from falling into a rabbit hole completely? to no fault of their own. But now they're indoctrinated because they think, yeah. you know what, I'm listening to podcasts, I typed in philosophy and this is the top philosophy podcast, but it's just Jordan Peterson giving you updates about his family. Yeah. Well, honestly... He's increasingly done those episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let me extend an olive branch to maybe someone who actually likes one of the shows that I just mentioned. Here, here, and just, you know, hear me out with this. Kind of take take the take the blinders off for a minute and just, just consider what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay. If if the show in question or the person in question does not have an exploratory tone, they have that is the marker for whether or not it's it's a show that you want to, you know, actually learn from, right? Because if you're learning about something and you don't learn about all the sides of it, what are the chances that you're going to be correct in the end of that episode? Almost none, right? It's you're yeah. rolling the dice with you. You are going to put your eggs in the basket of I am just going to roll the dice and hope I get lucky enough to listen. And the first thing I listen to happens to be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So when you when you listen to, I mean, the Rubin Report is incredibly guilty of this, in my opinion. And if you like the show, just hear me out. Rubin, his my my biggest issue with him or the show, I guess, is that it's not exploring ideas, even though that's his mantra, right? Mm-hmm. He has guests on, and all they do is fit you know, a narrative into the show. And if that's what you're doing, you don't get exposed, because let's say what he thinks is correct. Let's, let's even just assume that, right? I, yeah. I, you know, I would quibble with that on a lot of things he says. But even if you're correct, don't you want to know about the counter-arguments to your position? And I don't mean the, I don't mean the silly straw man ones. I mean the best ones, right? The ones that actually make you, make you think. Yeah. Because if you don't hear those, and even if you are correct, you don't know how to defend your ideas then. Because it's funny because typically they're the same guys who say they want more discourse and they want more conversation. Sure. But they, most of their arguments involve straw manning the opposition. Exactly. And don't don't get me wrong, I, I definitely I listen to I've listened to Peterson podcasts. I still oh, do. Yeah. I, I still subscribe to him because I, I do find yeah. some of his like biblical analysis ones pretty interesting. And I, I don't think anyone takes Freud or Young very seriously anymore, but I still find some of their thoughts interesting. I like talking about, you know, um, archetypes and whatnot. I, mm-hmm. I definitely I definitely enjoy that. And like yeah. you said, shouldn't you want to learn about the counter arguments, you know? So maybe yeah. I might not agree with much of what Peterson has to say, but I still listen to it because this is a something that Christopher Hitchens taught me is it's important mm. to keep two sets of books, right? Yeah. You have two yeah. always should have two sets of books, you know. Yeah. You really go down that rabbit hole, you believe in something, you keep reading about it, right? I've been going down the 
you know, educational philosophy, educational theory. I've been reading increasingly about it, but I, I've been reading many more critiques about how the education system doesn't work and things like that. Just because I'm involved in a system doesn't mean I have to completely support everything it does. I think it's important to read the critiques and listen to the critiques. I just think that most podcast platforms do a terrible job of contending with the fact that podcasts can be supplementary educational material. Podcast organizations, be it Spotify, which is now the big one because they've been making some power moves, or yeah. Apple or Stitcher or any of the pod catchers or whatever, they they file these things like episodes of a, well, quite like frankly, just like of, of shows, you know, like the podcast is a form of entertainment. I, I don't think it does a good job of pointing you towards things that you would find interesting from like, oh, we can judge by his listening that he's going through a phase where he's really big into Epicurus, right? It's not helping yeah. me dive deeper into his thoughts or finding reliable sources about that thought. And maybe that's not the point of podcasts, but I think if you're going to do an educational podcast, you should take it upon yourself to set up those those um, those safeguards yeah. so you don't fall into indoctrinating people into your way of thinking. It's really easy. It's ultimate power. Yeah. You have no one to answer to. Yeah. I mean, theoretically, we say something really wrong. We can get canceled or whatever, but well, sure, I don't have sure. no desire to say anything that would get me canceled. You know? Sure. Yeah. Like, I, we don't have a boss that can fire us from our own podcast, you know? Like, I'm yeah. not going to fire myself. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I guess the thing that, like, you're right, and it, it kind of sucks, but I think this is just how the way it is. Um, it is for better or worse, an individual effort, both on the, the creator and the listener side, right? Like, it's just... As a creator, you have to, it's just whatever you put out is what you put out. So you have to try to be balanced uh, and educational and and intellectually rigorous. And as a listener, you're the only one who's going to you know keep yourself in line. So if you find, oh, I only listen to Ben Shapiro or I only listen to Vox, right? Like the, you're probably wrong on both accounts then. Yeah. You know, so if you realize that you're... You know, if your if your diet is not varied, you're going to be malnourished. And that's the same for intellectual life it is, as it is for physical. So we're putting the onus on the listener then, right? And that kind of has to be. I mean, how else? You know, it sucks that it is, but it kind of has. So to that be. okay. So we put the onus on the on the um, on the listener to decide what is valuable, what isn't, what's just a crock of shit, what's val what's uh, you know, what has merit. So then I would argue that it's an educational problem. We need to teach yeah. students critical thinking skills so they can determine whether or yep. not the podcasts yep. they're listening to are... Now you're right. You're totally right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always will try to boil things down to an education problem. But that's ultimately... I, Of course, I would say that, though, because I'm an educationist, sure. right? And yeah. It, it's funny that we ended up here because I've been, I've been kicking around this idea, and I'm, I'm curious what your take on it is. So many of the classic foundational western philosophers you know think plato aristotle marcus aurelius those types earlier period right and without fail and i think this applies to a lot of i can't speak necessarily with authority on it to to some eastern philosophers of the same time but you will always have this inevitable student teacher relationship that always seems to be foundational in the person's thought right you have socrates to plato plato to aristotle aristotle to alexander the great Junius Rusticus to Marcus Aurelius. There's not always a through line to their thoughts, obviously, you know, because, you know, what Marcus Aurelius has to say is not necessarily the same as Junius Rusticus or what Eric, Alexander the Great has done is not always reflective of Aristotle's teachings, of course. Definitely but, not, yeah. <laughs> definitely not, but, but the fact remains that something about 
their relationship has left such an indelible mark that this person rose to almost, you know, I don't, I don't want to say um, never ending notoriety and fame, but it has been how many centuries have passed since close to it. Yeah. Written. I mean, this is as close to having a monumental impact as really anyone can. Right. Mm. But it's something so it obvious something about that might work, right? Is it is it the one on one contact between people, the fact that they can just sit face to face and have a conversation and really, really navigate their ideas? I mean, what about that one on one teacher student relationship that we've seen in philosophy or really you can yeah. spread that out and go further? What what do you think is valuable about it? Or do you think it has value? Oh, it definitely has value. Um but that's I, a I mean good I question. value relative to like classrooms as they are now you know yeah and I, th I think it definitely does um i don't i don't know to be honest i mean there's like there's something sort of maybe i'm having a hard time putting it into words but like if i think about you know if i think about just like the concepts that i'm most interested in right now in philosophy they do correspond to the best instructors that I had, right? But I don't, I genuinely don't know if I loved those instructors because they taught material I was interested in, or I love the material uh, because, or I'm interested in the material because the instructors were so good. And it's yeah. probably a bit of both. Um, but best class I ever took um, in my undergrad at, at Pitt was uh, history of ethics. And the professor of that course was by, I mean, by a mile, the best professor I've ever had. And I've had a ton of really, really great professors. But the thing that was so amazing about her style of teaching was, and I don't know, I don't know if I'm like adding anything to what you said, but it is, it was, it was everything about it, right? The readings she assigned were amazing. And then we would come into class and we would have these great lectures that she would give us on them and then we could ask you know questions and i would ask questions that i had but other people would ask questions that i never even thought to ask and it would spark yeah. a little you know it'd spark a note of curiosity with me and then i would go to like office hours and talk about it so it's that whole thing that i i don't think and it's why i, I don't think podcasts or i mean online learning in general honestly can can ever fully replace that model i think when it's working at its best, it works really, really well. Yeah. No, I, I, I again, totally agree. I've been agreeing with yeah. you a lot, but, <laughs> dude, you and I are... That's because I've been so we're, right. We're, yeah. we're yeah. co-founders of the same organization. Of course, we're going to be... the same values. Like, yeah. It's yeah. We probably shouldn't podcast anymore. It's going to be boring. because you know, Yes, yes, Just yes. Totally agree. Off. Wow, yeah. you're fantastic. But <laughs> it's... um, So it's, it's interesting that you said that. You, you can't tell if you just love the subject... Yeah. And that's why you like the teacher so much, or you had such a great teacher, and that's why you love the subject. What came first, the chicken or the egg? But I don't know. Yeah. The the point at the end of the day is you've noticed a correlation between your favorite favorite classes have always been ones that have been with great teachers, right? Yeah. So that's what worries me, right? I I totally agree. I mean, I totally get it. But what happens if again, we don't have random Joe yet. Schmo? I um, turn on my podcast player. And I, I listen to this podcast, and I feel like this person's speaking directly to me. Because, I mean, that, that's some reviews that I've gotten on my podcast. Tommy, I love yeah. your podcast. It feels like I'm just a fly on the wall, and we're having a conversation. We're just talking, right? People, that's why I, that's why I like Joe Rogan's podcast, or I like, um, yeah. that's why I like some audiobooks when the, when the author reads their audiobook. Yeah. It feels like oh. they're telling you a story, you know? Yes, and, yes. And you, and, you, and you love that. And 
what worries me is it's that one-on-one -on -one interaction that you're definitely not getting in the classroom because we're going through this industrial revolution um, batches and throwing on an assembly line, 23 students, they all get the same thing. If you don't like it, tough, right? Yeah. That's all you get is a tough. You don't like it, tough. That's just how yeah. it is, right? It, it, it's terrible. So, all right, you retreat to the supplementing, supplementary material. You look at the podcast, right? You're yeah. a really charismatic host. Again, but there's no, there's nothing... You don't need to be qualified to have a podcast. I mean, Christ sakes, we have podcasts, right? Yeah, so we're, like, we're not accredited, yeah. Like, we're, we're talking about philosophy, education, and history right now without, I mean, we have bachelor's degrees, and we're, uh, I mean, we'll be, we're working on gr graduate school and whatnot, but, like, there I mean, really, no, there was no fair, barrier yeah. to entry. That's, no. that's what worries me. You know, we have these, how many of these great relationships can podcasters build with an audience member who's disaffected, angry about something, and they buy into this person 100%. They're a great teacher. And you listen to everything you say. Yeah. And before you know it, you're down the rabbit hole as well. I, I think it's just, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, but I don't know. You don't know. want to regulate it. I know, I know. Because I... democratization of media is, is an amazing, is, is that just the price we pay? I, I think it is. And to be honest, I think um, it really comes down to the cultural values too, right? Like if... I, I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously it's sort of the American thing to Americanize all, all of these questions, but I, I just think maybe our culture in this place in this time is really, really bad at that. You know, va valuing being informed as opposed to being convincing, right? I mean, if you just look at, if you look at the people who are most popular, you know, they don't know as much as your average professor in that in that uh, area, but why are they more popular? Well, it's because their rhetoric is more exciting, or they you know own people more, or they destroy people more, right? And it could, I don't know. You're right. There's not a good answer to it. Like you it's, can't it's regulate. It's funny though it. because you 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 type in philosophy or whatever on your podcast player, you pull up the Jordan Peterson podcast, and you're listening. But then you then you YouTube Jordan Peterson because you're like these lectures are great. I want to watch one. And yeah. the top thing that comes up is Jordan Peterson owns this person. It's like, okay, if he's an intellectual, why am I so worried about him owning and flaming and, and having, you know, beefs? Exactly. It's like, it's like yeah. why are we treating these guys like they're straight up like musicians or like doing, I don't I know. Hate it just, that. It's, it's so, it's so it makes annoying. No sense. It's like, wow, really? A, a sophomore, you know, w is not the best advocate of their position. You know, like those Steven Crowder videos change oh, my yeah. mind. It's like, it's like dude, someone walked up to you on the quad yes, with no prior research or an idea that they were going to be having a debate today and you went in with weeks of prep and you have your folders with all of your uh, data and all of the sources you're going to use of course you're going to win that argument well but it's worse than that too because when he loses they don't post that like yeah do you know what i mean when when, <laughs> when you just get someone who's rational and calm and measured and he sits down it's like well you know like steve i i don't really think that that's right i don't think the propensity to consume does outweigh you know and they just they they really lay it out they don't post yeah. that shit they post you know, some sophomore with blue hair just freaking out while Crowder sits back. Ah, ha, ha, don't you know how wrong you are? You know, it's yeah. like they it's don't like the, post. It's, it's the Jimmy yeah. Kimmel thing where it's like, can you yeah. believe how people didn't know the capital of the United States? And it's like, well, you, you sat out there for all for hours. You asked you nearly 10,000 yeah. people. You got 10 people that didn't know. I mean, statistically, you probably should have got more. So you failed really is what happened. But <laughs> still, it's like yeah. Yeah, you don't get the behind the scenes because at the end of the day, no matter how much you feel like you're in the room with the person or how in the zone you are in the conversation, it was pre-recorded. It was edited. Yeah. It was changed. Oh, yeah. It was written. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is 
essentially a performance. I mean, you and I are being ourselves here, but yeah, I mean, we came in today with a couple days notice knowing we were going to do a podcast. Yeah. There's some things that have been written down, right? I might not have shared them with you because I wanted to get you by surprise, but oh yeah, you know, things are written down. There's still this preparation. And I think it's important yeah. for people to realize that people just, they just, they just didn't start rolling off the cuff. I had a lot of people, a lot of people ask me, they're like, Tommy, have you, um, I, I sound like Trump when I say a lot of people ask me, my mother asked me, she asked me, uh, Tommy, do you do this off the cuff? And I'm like, no, does it sound like it? She's like, sometimes I write in some ums and some stutters and whatnot to make it sound. Really? Okay. I might take that out that I said that on the pot. Now nah, that's a really but, interesting though. I, I would I'll have never guessed that. write them in. So people, so it feels like I'm just ha like I'm talking, I'm tripping over myself and I'm yeah. just, a, you know, just normal and average. It, it's, it's, it's building this, this idea, you know, of it's off the cuff. Sure. You trust it, you know? Sure. Now, maybe I'm funny. not doing it to any nefarious yeah. purposes. Of course. But it, yeah. it, it, it just goes to show how easily your preconception of what I'm doing on my show can be hijacked and changed, and it's not what you yeah. think it is. Yeah. It's so easy to deceive people. It, it really is. And I don't know. I mean, to be honest, like, I, I've just been saying I don't know for a while now, but I really don't. Like, I don't know the answer to this because it— Yeah. Dude, you don't want to regulate, like, you know, who can put out a podcast. I mean, that would suck. No, I um, totally agree. But, like, but at the same time, it sucks that Steven Crowder has, what, four or five million subscribers on YouTube? And and someone like, I'm trying to think of a non-controversial example here. I'm going to go know. with Gregory B. Sadler. He's a professor that just breaks down works. He literally just won't okay, read Okay, there. Work. Yeah, like, I don't yeah, know who that is. a couple that's, thousand. That's bad. You should go listen to him. Okay. okay. Follow him. I, would I like him. I've, I've told you this before. It's the second time I'm telling really? Yeah. Shit. I must go have, like, follow him forgot. on YouTube. Gregory B. Sadler. Um, okay. He's a professor. He uh, he does this. He's running this series called, series called Half Hour Hegel, where he'll just take specifically oh, a, a passage. Shit. But yeah. he, he's beyond that. He's he's done uh, some stoicism. He, he does all kinds of different things. He's a fantastic, um, yeah. fantastic uh, resource. Yeah. Because it gives you the actual text. You have a text. Yes. Yes. He shows it on the screen because it's a very short, maybe paragraph you're going to talk about that day. Yeah. And he just goes by the phenomenology of spirit, paragraph by paragraph. That's cool. And he spends a half hour on each paragraph because it's just so dense. There's so much to talk about. And you come away a little frustrated because you're like, I just spent a half hour on a paragraph. But at the end, of the, you're like, but I understand that paragraph really well. Yeah. And that's what it takes. When you're doing philosophy, when you're doing history, when you're doing education, yeah. it's not always going to be simple. It's not going to be this Never date is. at this time and this happens, right? It, it yeah. very rarely is that simple. And I, podcasting, it's very passive. It is very, it, it's simplified. Yeah. And maybe that's where the problem is at the heart of it because just it's the medium, you know? It, yeah. I don't know. It's, it, it's probably an issue, but I'm, I think I might be more ready to blame it on just sort of the, um, <laughs> kind of just the weakness of will maybe honestly of people and I, obviously we're all guilty of it to some degree or another but i don't know i mean people i mean like you said people aren't going to sit down and watch a half an hour lecture of a paragraph as much as they are going to click on a four minute clip of steven crowder owns a college kid you know yeah and it's just like you know they it's should be funny because it's nothing yeah. new no, no, it's not. But that's, I think it might be worse because I mean, of the technology. Okay, let's look at it. In the 90s, you had democratization of media through uh, zines, right? So people were just putting out their own magazine, right? 
yeah, you, yeah. All you paid was the cost at Kiko's or whatever it was to copy it and you staple yeah. it, right? And you could say whatever you want and you send it out to distributors and they would sell your zine, right? And it wasn't for making money because the costs were so low. It's kind of like the podcasting at the time, but there was a distribution network and anybody could do it. And what inevitably happens is there, of course, is a pocket of rogue degenerates and fringe groups who were doing this kind of uh, transgressive type of thing. Like a Jim Goad, he did this zine called Answer Me, which was notorious for its vulgarity, for its transgressive uh, nature, for the content. I mean, you know, they, they did a whole episode talking about like child porn, a whole uh, child porn like segment and stuff. It's just sure. real weird stuff that you don't yeah. want to get into. But just because they could, they did. I think for as long as, or rather any instance in which you democratize media and you give the power and the means of producing that media to the people, there's going to be fringe groups. There's going to be the rogue degenerates. There's going to be the disgruntled employees. There's going to be the fringe groups who do the transgressive stuff or the people who really don't know what they're talking about. So they dig into the position, they pick a side and they really dig in and they just go for it. So it's funny because we're talking about this and we're really venting about it. And in a strange way, most of our questions have all connected to make this through line of thought. But at the end of the day, it's just what happens when you democratize media. You're You're going to get people who just don't want to play by the rules. It's very unsatisfying, but honestly, it just it is what it is. Like that's, it that's is all you can really what it say. Is, as said by our president when told that thousands of people <sighs> are dying from COVID nineteen. It is what it is. It is know? what it is. I mean, so that's that's a case where that answer is not acceptable, obviously. But in, but in this I, case, I would say it is acceptable because it obviously hasn't changed, right? It is a good to democratize things. It's a good it's a good for more people to be educating themselves outside the classroom. But the price that you pay is that anyone can put out the content. So, and I would say I you think, just weigh it, and then we know if it's yeah. a good. You know, if, yeah. If, if it's just like all uh, ISIS videos and conspiracy theories, I'm well, gonna say sure. it's probably not a public good. You know, but sure, sure. But it would be very. I just I wasn't imagining a scenario in which the only thing on YouTube <laughs> was, was yeah, ISIS. That, that's beheadings, definitely you know? that's definitely a strange. But like you know, yeah. you look at YouTube, you look at Twitter, you look at um, sure. podcasting in general. If we weigh it, you know, the that's true. Yeah, pros be. and cons. Yeah. At the end of the day, I think YouTube. I think it's it's going to be a pro. I mean, yeah, and the way close. that it helps people. I I mean, it it's I think it's useful. I agree. How much yeah. do you think you've learned from YouTube? Uh, a ton. But to be fair, I don't think I'm the average case, and I don't mean I don't mean want that to sound like self congratulatory either. Like I'm just not interested in as much as the other stuff. Yeah, you know? like it's a matter of interest. I think. I, I know that I've I've learned a lot of stuff from watching I've, YouTube. Yeah, I've learned because, an immeasurable amount. Because I, I just I look at it like, all right, if I expect people to think they can learn something from my podcast, I better learn things from other people's podcasts and other people's shows. And oh yeah, there's so many great great channels on YouTube where I come away oh, and I'm yeah, like, this it. was amazing. Like I learned so much. But then there's stuff that's absolute dog shit. There's like, dude, the the fucking like Logan Paul vlogs like that. That kind of stuff makes me want to burn it all down, honestly. Like when but I really, if you look at the trending, yeah, like dude, look at look at what videos are the top twenty trending or whatever. I promise you, there is not an inkling of information in any of those videos. You know, it's funny. You know, it actually was number. I was just looking at YouTube before we got on because I wanted to show my girlfriend something that I thought was pretty exactly. funny. But I, I went to search and it shows me the trending because I was doing it on my TV. And number nine on trending was Ben Shapiro. 
Really? But like, what was it? It was just an episode of it of, was because like... he was reading Cardi B lyrics or something. And it was really <laughs> embarrassing. It's like, oh, OK. Like, I don't think really I don't put much stock in Shapiro at all. I think at least, at least maybe do an episode where he actually talks policy with someone who disagrees with him. And I, then, know, you know, I know. But you know, the top thing we get is <sighs> him reading party B lyrics. I would be happy with it if he was debating someone, you know, as, yeah. as infantile yeah. as debates are, I think. Sure. But yeah. If he was debating, I come away knowing someone else's perspective and how that, what that looks like when it comes into conflict with his, right? And that's valuable. You learn how two people representing two fields react when they talk. That's, that's great information right there. But him reading Cardi B lyrics is just simply... That, that's it, nothing. Yeah, It makes total sense, though, Jordan. Think about it, man. I mean, yeah. you can go on YouTube and you can learn something amazing or you could waste your time. You could shit, piss your day away, right? Yeah. But at the same time, what's stopping you from... You could walk out of your apartment. You could walk down to the library. You could walk up to a lecture hall or you could walk into a titty bar. I mean, yeah. it's just... It's what it is, you know? <laughs> yeah. Those Again, are your I think it comes down options, to, yeah. there's so many, well, no, I, I, during yeah. quarantine, I don't know, whatever the essential services are. That's fair enough. Uh, yeah. that's but fair. at the end, of the, it does come down to your choice. I mean, yeah. maybe we there's only so much. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe we do overestimate uh, how how new and how sort of revelationary this is, but... I don't know. I think I think we probably overestimate it in some senses, but then we probably accurately estimate it in other senses. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, the sensationalization of news and information is is a really bad thing. I think on average. I also think that is a natural extension of what happens. Go on Facebook groups. Like, there's the Facebook group um, for my hometown, okay. the uh, Lawrence County Bulletin Board. Right? It's people suppose they're supposed to report the news. You know, oh, hey, like I was driving down the street. I saw three ambulances and a helicopter overhead. What happened? Right. OK, that's a valuable oh, question. Okay. Someone wants yeah. to know. But the problem is that's not what happened. It's not where it gets posted. It's, it's, yeah. It's sensationalism all over again. Yeah. But it's not the news media doing it. It's the average everyday Joe's. Yeah. That's, well, that's the in, that's in, what gets yeah. me. I'm fine with a new sensationalizing. <sighs> I expect that's them to fair. do it. That's but fair. When you're when you're saying just two couple people in a room talking. Tell people in a Facebook group talking, a private group you got to get invited into or whatever. Yeah. And the fact that it just descends into this mindless sensationalism, talking about the same thing over and over again. It's 10 years mm -hmm. done, but now it's a crisis all over. It's it's interesting because it makes me think then is this is the sensationalization of the news just a natural extension of what we would do anyway? It probably humans, is. We're great at catastrophizing. Oh, we're amazing. Think about, how much, think about how much you do it to yourself. Yeah. Oh, I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm the most disgusting person in the world. No one wants well, to but look that's true in your case, though. It's this, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's, it's that. It's that. It's that self-talk where, okay, yeah. maybe you are a little overweight. Maybe, maybe you're not the prettiest person in the world. But yeah, you constantly harping on yourself about that, sure. you're having yeah. no self-love about any of that. It's going to make that situation worse because you're going to feel worse about it. You make it. You know, you build it up as a worse thing. Oh my god! I really don't want to go to the dentist. It's going to hurt so much when he pulls my tooth. It's going to yeah. And you worrying yourself is almost worse than actually being at the dentist. You know. What's that? There's that one quote by someone: "We suffer twice. Once in anticipation of the event, and then secondarily mm -hmm. in the event. And the first one is totally unnecessary. It's it's yeah. something like that. That's a, that's that um, sounds like I don't know if it's Aurelius, but I know it's that it sounds like a Stoic philosopher for sure. Might be Epicurus. I don't Epicurus? know. Epicurus. Okay. I can't recall. I, I can't recall. It, that, that sounds uh, like that sounds like something a Stoic would say. Because a lot of what yeah. I've just been spouting is all a bunch of like 
yeah this, some stoic mumbo gym i've been reading a lot of stoicism i've been really getting into great. it yeah it's like just stoicism. it doesn't work practically like i tell to my girlfriend it's like hey i know you're i know you're really mad about work but you complaining about to me really helps nothing so let's just stop she's not doesn't doesn't take too kindly <laughs> to, to be, that to be, to be totally fair to her though the tone that you tell her that in could, <laughs> could make it a world of a difference well I, i'm just it's very simple it's like well apparently you weren't reading marcus aurelius it's like no i wasn't reading marcus aurelius yeah. because i was working today what were you doing you know yeah i, mean, I was no, reading you... marcus aurelius and now i'm thinking you're suffering twice and one's completely unnecessary yeah work sucked <laughs> Don't bring me into it as well. You're just compounding <laughs> suffering at that point. That is, I don't actually true. believe this, of course. I, I know I, that, I that was know, more of a joke. Oh, I, it, it worked very well as the joke. But like, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I think you're right, though. I mean, it, it was the joke, but the underlying, you do have to apply it correctly. Yeah. Um, if you want it, if you want it to work. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the, the joke worked well. We we might as well end while we're flying high. I mean, we were flying very high. What, what yeah. else do we have here? I mean, at, at the at, at the end of the day, I think the it comes down to we. I think we've agreed so far that it comes down to the person, the individual who's yeah. consuming the media, because we it's, it's so hard to control. As much yeah. as we would like to eliminate hate speech online, I think it's absolutely impossible. It would, yeah. it's so it goes deeper, you know. You 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 scrub Reddit. It goes to 4chan. It goes to 8chan. It's gonna yeah. go to 32chan before the. Well, end you'll of the also day. miss stuff and scrub the stuff that's not hate speech too. Yeah. It's just we're we're not we're infallible. Or I mean, and then fallible. you're going to scrub things for the whole world over. It's easy enough to scrub things for a city, I guess, or for a country. But you know, yeah. when Facebook has to scrub through all of the posts that were made for Myanmar and they only have three people that speak the language, it's impossible. You're gonna miss some posts. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also, you're right, it's it's on the individuals that are consuming, but then obviously also, you know, it's on the individuals who are creating also. Um, like, it's on us, and the responsibility is ours, to not steep to stuff like, you know, Ben Shapiro or Steven Crowder sensationalism, right? Like yeah. that, uh, and to be fair, you know, also stuff like, you know, Vox can put out some kind of sensationalized stuff like that too, right? Yeah, Vox makes no makes no bones about how left-wing they are they're very far sure. Wing spectrum. sure i think everyone basically accepts that at this point yeah but like you know it's 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 i don't know it's it's not really a satisfying answer for people to hear but it's on them and it's also on us you know like mm -hmm. they should hold us accountable we should hold ourselves accountable that's just i until we have you know perfect ai or something yeah that's, that's kind of what we have to ride it out with for now so we're going to end on that very, very unsatisfying note of <laughs> it's on you. But at the end yeah. of the day, when it, we say it's on you, but there's things that our society could do to help you go through content oh, and yeah. judge it and look at oh, bias. Yeah. Our school system could definitely address those necessary skills. But before our school system could really do that, we're going to have to you know, look at our tax system. And then you're going to have to look at you yeah. know, just our, our, our assumptions that we make about capital. And it's just, there's just so much that goes into solving a problem that sounds simple on the head so at the end lot, of the day it's like yeah. okay even even though we say it's on the person i mean look at how much we have to look into as a society to yeah. even properly to even give them the proper tools necessary it's uh there's a lot of work to be done what can i tell you folks if you're listening in you're listening to a a guy who hosts a history podcast and a guy who hosts a philosophy podcast talking of course the answer is going to go it's complicated <laughs> <laughs> you get what you pay for. I mean, they bought what it. What were you expecting? What yeah. were you expecting at this point? <laughs> it's That's been great, man. Get. It's been nice yeah. talking to you.
Yeah, it's been great, great talking to you, too. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, you know, the, just a little plug for uh, for Muckraker Media. I think, yeah. you know, it, this is obviously biased because we're the creators. But honestly, you know, that is our official registered nonprofit attempt to make a little bit of a difference in this area. So if people, you know, if if what either of us said convinced you at all, I think that it's worth checking it out. So that's yeah, it's, my. It's uh, kind of unfair because I we we picked I picked a topic to talk about that kind of tangentially ties in to Muckraker. Sure. Yeah, because people could listen to this episode and they hear the two creators kind of explaining our ideas behind why we're doing what we're doing. There's yep. no good infrastructure for educational podcasts out there to reach any kind of to reach an audience, but more than that, for that audience to go in and to get something more out of it than just listening. Oh, I really enjoyed that podcast about. Yeah you know, this topic, where can I learn about this topic more? We're trying yep. to put out systems. I don't, I don't want to give too much away. I mean, we, we, sure. we, we talk about, you know, apps and things like yep. that. We've yep. been discussing and trying to put into practice ways to make educational podcasts more accessible. Yep. And more than that, all of the open access educational intellectual material that's out there, trying yep. to make that more accessible to you. Because I think a lot of people don't really utilize Okay. Yeah. Public domain works as well as no, they no. Absolutely. You go into Barnes Noble and you're buying stuff that is free. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you I can mean, go online. Yeah. You can find it. I mean, yes, it, it's, it's it's there. I mean, yes, you got to pay for internet. I guess if you want to get online, you have to have to have a data plan or an sure, electronic device sure. at a McDonald's where you can get on the Wi-Fi. But there's so many works online that are free. Yeah. I know. I know people are going to go, Tommy. For the last, I don't know how many podcasts you've been saying everything's behind a freaking paywall. It is, <laughs> but there's also a lot of free stuff too. I mean, it's yeah, it could yeah. be more, and I think it should be more. And I think people more access. I don't think anyone's ever been like, "Wow, we've had too much access to information," right? But no. I think at the end of the day, the information needs to be structured and organized in a way that's easily navigatable. I shouldn't have to learn how to navigate the place to get the information. You know, that shouldn't I shouldn't have no. to be like, no. "How do I?" Na Navigating a library's catalog system is act is a skill in itself. I mean, there's oh, a lot yeah. you got to do. There's a oh, lot of yeah. tips and tricks and things they just don't tell you. They expect you to know, and it's yeah. How do you expect us to know this? That's important, yeah. and also the fact that there's really no seal of approval on podcasts, hmm. like we've been saying, and that's really I think what we're trying to do. Make a huge effort on yeah. this is a creator that puts an effort into making a podcast that is well researched, well written, edited is not too hard on the ears. The hosts aren't too hard on the eyes, except for us two. I mean, but that's sure. why we do more behind the scenes that's work. That's just, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's but, why uh, you're not watching, yeah. That's what it is, you know? That's yeah. what, it is what it is. That's what we have it, to offer. It is what it is. And honestly, I mean, yeah, I, I think that what we're doing is valuable. And if you, listener, agree with us, then I would encourage you to check out Muckraker Media. And there you have it, folks. That was my conversation with Jordan Myers. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the 50th episode. I'll talk to you soon.